Today we're going to begin our six-week journey through the epistle of 1 Peter. As I mentioned a number of weeks ago before we took that two-week break for Palm Sunday and for Pascha. When I was looking over it, there are five chapters in the epistle of 1 Peter. We have six weeks. And so what I thought we'd do today, because I really do think it's very important and we don't talk about it near enough, is I will give you a little introduction to the epistle of of 1 Peter. But I think it's equally, if not more important, that we would take some time today to reflect a little bit on our patron saint who wrote the book. Our parish is St. Peter Orthodox Church. And in the Orthodox Church, the naming of a parish after is the same thing that we see when someone is chrismated and they take on a saint name to come alongside them. We call this the patron saint. This is the saint that someone finds some type of, of identity with. And the reason we ask them to do that is because the patron saint intercedes for the person. Okay? And that's why that happens. And in a parish, it's no different. The patron saint of a church comes alongside that parish in an intercessory role, always interceding for us. So who is it that's interceding? What were his experiences in this life that we all can identify with? What was his journey? What was his ministry? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Because again, I think it's important that we know this blessed apostle who is praying for us. Okay, So let's begin. Now, we know that St. Peter was one of the original twelve apostles chosen by our Lord Jesus Christ. And during his life, he was considered... First among equals. First among equals of all twelve apostles. In fact, the church has always functioned and been guided by the Holy Spirit in this conciliar faction. In other words, the decisions made by the church from the, from the Council of Jerusalem that we'll look at in just a minute. But the decisions made by the Holy Church all throughout time and even today are made in conciliar fashion. There is no one person that stands above, proclaims, and there it is. It is a joint effort of prayer and finding the will of God, and even what they decide is expressed in a joint fashion. Let me give you an example about the Council of Jerusalem. So you'll see what first among equals means regarding St. Peter. The Council of Jerusalem we find in Acts chapter 15. Saints Paul and Barnabas at that point, they had been going to the Gentiles. And what they find is they go to the Gentiles and find some Christians that had already gotten to them or some trying to speak into their life. Some of those Christians, Jewish converted Christians, are trying to tell the Gentile converted Christians that you must be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Now before you knock them too hard, and please don't, remember whence they came. What was the point of entry established by God for entering into the covenant in the Old Testament? The Old Covenant. It was circumcision. 
Okay? So in their minds, being converted into Christ, coming out of Judaism, they're thinking the way in has not changed. Right? And so the Gentiles, if you can imagine, they don't like this idea. Right? And so Paul sees them struggling with this idea. Paul himself is struggling with this idea. And so Paul returns, they return to Jerusalem where the apostles are. And they go before St. Peter and the rest of the apostles. And they say, listen, this is what our folks are being told. What do we do about this? Do they or do they not have to be circumcised in order to come into Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit and obtain salvation? Now in the Council of Jerusalem as noted in Acts chapter 15, St. Peter, the first among equals, seems to be the spokesperson. He gets up and he addresses everyone and he introduces the issue and he testifies to his own experience with the Gentiles because he has seen the Gentiles baptized at this point. He has seen them filled with the Holy Spirit in no different way. The experience of the apostles themselves and all the other disciples and all those on the day of Pentecost, when they were baptized, came out of the water, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was evidenced. And St. Peter sees this in the Gentiles with, I mean, in the Gentiles without circumcision taking place. So he speaks to this. And so the apostles then retire and they discuss this very important question and situation. And they send, um, they send out a letter to all of those Gentiles for, for Paul and Barnabas to take with them. And here's what the, it said. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Note who it's written from. It's not written by St. Peter saying this is from St. Peter to all of you. It says, not only the apostles, those serving with them, the elders, and not only them, the brethren. What is he saying? The Holy Spirit has revealed something to the entire church. And so we, the church, are the voice of the expression of God. You see that? Okay. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are the Gentiles of Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. Here's the statement. For it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit and to us, that to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. In other words, you have been baptized. 
you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. What else need there be? So abstain from sexual immorality and so on. But the key in the expression, understanding how the church has always functioned in conciliar, council fashion, is the statement, it seems right to us and to the Holy Spirit that you do this. St. Peter would be that spokesperson at that meeting when they would meet. First among equals. And this would be the exact scenario that would play out in all of the seven ecumenical councils. Okay, Even beyond St. Peter's uh, martyrdom, the see of Peter, which was always the patriarch of Rome. Okay, And remember what the patriarchates were during that time of those ecumenical councils. If you look around the Mediterranean, it would kind of look like this. You had Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and down south you would have Alexandria in Egypt. And there was a patriarch, a bishop, over each of those areas. And when they would meet, it would be the See of Peter, which Rome was, that would be the first among equals. He would be the spokesperson on behalf of who? The apostles, the continuation of the apostles, the bishops, the elders, the priests, the deacons. They would grow to having our deacon ministry as well as the entire body of Christ would combat all of those heresies and give us the greatest expressions of the truth of the faith. Okay? Our blessed Saint Peter was first among equals. And since the great schism of 1054, what did we lose? The Patriarchate of Rome and all to the West. Okay? And even today, Orthodoxy will say, if there was ever a reunion, and we ought pray for it, if there was ever a reunion of faith between East and West. Right now, the patriarch of Constantinople stands as first among equals because of the absence of the See of Peter. If it were to be rejoined, the Orthodox Church says very plainly today, the first among equals role goes back to how it was established at the Council of Jerusalem and beyond. We say that very openly. But our blessed St. Peter was indeed that first among equals. Let's talk about his journey. St. Peter would begin after Pentecost, we're talking about. Well, let's, let's go back for a second. Common fisherman. Common fisherman. That's what he did for his livelihood. Our Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to Peter... As they weren't catching fish all night, if you remember the calling of the first disciples, and Peter was one of them. Then Simon, who would be renamed later by our Lord. They don't catch anything all night, and Jesus comes up to Peter and says, cast out again. And they're exhausted. And they're frustrated, I'm sure, as fishermen, that they've caught nothing. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And then Jesus gives him the precise place to go. I want you to go out into the deeper waters, he says. Not the, north, not the waters where you've been. Go to the deeper waters, cast your net. They're filled to bursting. Simon Peter comes in to Christ, follows him from that day on. God revealed the Messiah to Peter at that stage. And yet this would be the same man that would, that would follow him so faithfully, so loyally, 
until there was trouble. And in the weakness of his flesh, just as Jesus prophesied to him, he would deny him three times. He would throw everything for the moment, everything that he had seen and experienced of Jesus Christ. And like John, the Apostle John says at the end of John, if I were to write all that we witnessed, all that Jesus did during his time with us in those three years, a library couldn't contain it. We just know the things that are written in the book. How much did St. Peter see and experience all along the way? And not just the miracles, but the daily walking from place to place and being with God incarnate. And yet, even still with all of that, St. Peter would deny Jesus three times to save his own life. He was fearful. He was scared. And yet, even... He was thinking of himself. He was thinking of himself, absolutely. As would we all struggle with. And yet, after the resurrection... Jesus would fully redeem his thrice denial by coming to Peter and asking him three times, Do you love me? How perfect is that? You were with me. You loved me. You were with me faithfully. You even asked for some of the greatest things that I can't give you because of your belief in me. You denied me three times. I ask you three times, Do you love me? Because I want to bring you back to myself. What did our patron saint experience? He experienced the failure of his humanity, just like we experience the failure of our faith and our humanity. But what did he experience? The complete redemption, yeah. The complete redemption and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to restore one that denied him. Restoration. Restoration. Great word. Exactly right. And so Peter, being restored and redeemed, is now called to feed the lambs of Jesus Christ, to feed his sheep. And he would do that. Pentecost occurs again. Who is the spokesperson at Pentecost? Being filled with the Holy Spirit and delivering the gospel to the thousands that were there that day. And they received 3,000 of them received Christ through baptism, filled with the Holy Spirit, and went from there back to where they came from because all had converged. All the dispersion of the Jews had converged onto Jerusalem that day. And they went back to their homes filled with the Holy Spirit. Our St. Peter was the spokesperson giving the gospel. Our St. Peter would also be persecuted all along the way for the sake of Christ. Never denying Him again after that one experience. He'd been redeemed. He'd been restored. He'd experienced the forgiveness and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He would never deny that again. Even to persecution. Even to being imprisoned. But even being imprisoned. What did St. Peter experience? It wasn't his time to be martyred. So in the middle of the night, an angel shows up. And releases him from his chains and lets him out of prison, tells him where to go and escape, and go on with his ministry. Don't ever forget either that when you see the healing ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, that you also see it 
through quite a few apostles. And one of them is our patron saint. Listen to Acts chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. This is very soon after Pentecost, okay? And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them in their beds and couches, listen to this, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. You have to lock in what we're being shown very early on in Acts, through the apostles, through the church. That there was only a brief time where Christ was in the grave. That the healing work of our Lord Jesus Christ of body, soul, and spirit paused. Because after His resurrection and after Pentecost, you see the same blessed ministry of Jesus Christ through the body of Christ that you saw in His fleshly body in the Incarnation. Telling us, once again, you've heard me say this, that the expression that the church is called the body of Christ is not just a nice little thing to say, let me pat your head while I say it. It is an expression of what we have been made by the Holy Spirit coming into each earthen vessel joined together with one purpose that God had, our salvation and the offering of His life for the life of the world through us the continuing ministries of Jesus Christ. And we'd see them in our own St. Peter. Let's go one step further. Don't forget that Peter also was used by Christ to raise the dead. In Acts in chapter 9, we have Tabitha, who we're told in that scripture is a very loving disciple, full of good works and charitable. She had passed away. She'd passed away. And they call for St. Peter to come. And in Acts chapter 9, we hear this. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Why is God continuing the same ministry through Christ that He did in Christ enfleshed through the body of Christ? It's that last statement. What did I say this morning? Our God delights in making Himself known. Our God delights in revealing Himself because He knows that it's only by His precious human creation coming to know Him, not know about Him, coming to know Him that they might be saved and with Him forever. And He wants us that bad. And so our Lord Jesus Christ continues that ministry. As we see through Peter, He raises the dead and many believed. All throughout Joppa, many believed on the Lord. What are we seeing and beholding? It's exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ said would happen 
in the book, in the Gospel of St. John in chapter 14. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, He will do also. And greater works than these He will do, because I go to My Father. And whatever you ask in My name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How? Through the body. Through living stones. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And this would be the apostles' ministry, going from place to place. If I had a map, I'd show you. But what he would do is he would go up from... Uh, Jerusalem into Antioch first where he would start a church where they would first be called Christians. By the way, never forget what the word Christian means. It was a Roman slang term that was used to make fun of what the Romans were seeing in Antioch. Christians mean, and it's said again derogatory, those little Christs. Those little, what a great incredible, profound compliment while they were making fun of the Christians. And why did they call them little Christs? They're acting like Jesus. They're living like Jesus. And the same ministry they saw in the one that they put to death is still happening. And so they called them Christians. Little Christs. Little Christs. So he had found the church in Antioch where he would be the first bishop of our patriarchate. We are under the patriarchate of Antioch. Peter was the first. And he would be there for just a few years. Then he would continue his missionary journey going around the Mediterranean Sea through Cappadocia, Galatia, through Ephesus, Corinth, and ultimately he would make his way to Rome where he would be the bishop patriarch of Rome from around A.D. 42 to his martyrdom in A.D. 64. And his martyrdom fulfilled what our Lord Jesus Christ had said to him just after he was restored. Remember, after he asked him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What does Jesus say in John 21? He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, now, get this. Jesus just told Peter of his martyrdom. Peter knew this. He says, follow me. How much faith did Peter now have? by His restoration, by His seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ. How much faith would it take to follow, knowing you're following Christ, yes, that His will be done in ministry, but ultimately to your martyrdom. And He followed. He followed. Never forget something about faith. Who is the giver of it? Christ. No faith to endure anything in this life comes naturally to humankind. Faith is entirely a gift. 
given by God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit when we need it to bring us to the level of faith that our Lord desires us to be at that all of His good works be complete no matter what that means in our life. And we're so slow to comprehend that. Always. We're always behind the curve, aren't we? But we finally get it. We do. Absolutely. But St. Yeah. Repeat what you just said. That faith to endure whatever we have to endure in this life as a follower of Christ and because we're followers of Christ, that faith has its origination in Christ and is a gift to us so that we can manage through whatever we endure for the sake of following Christ. It begins with Him and it ends with Him because it glorifies Him. Right? Right. His martyrdom would be crucifixion. And yet St. Peter... In his humility, think about this. This is what we just say. He was used to raise the dead. He was used to start churches. He was used to see many baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit in the path of salvation. And this same Saint Peter, when he was told he was going to be crucified, still had the blessed humility within himself of, I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. Do not crucify me like Christ. I'm not worthy to be crucified in any way, shape, or form like Him. And in that humility, He offered Himself, and God was glorified. My friends, this is our friend. This is our patron saint. Do you think He knows how to intercede for us as a parish? Do you think He knows how to intercede for each of us as living stones? He knows His humanity. He knows the redemptive power of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now He stands with Christ in paradise, praying for us not through a veil of flesh, but He joins Christ who we're told in Holy Scripture intercedes for us at all times. Let that be a wonder to you every time you walk by the icon of St. Peter. Every time I go into the narthex, I go to all the icons. But when I stop at his, I stop and I entreat his prayers for all of us for this Mass. That he would let us see the kingdom of heaven joined to us today. Huh? And of course, I pray that he intercedes for me in what I deliver to you which includes the liturgy, the Eucharist, everything. But I pray for the whole parish. You might consider next time you walk by St. Peter, when you're on your way to Mass, stopping and at least saying, St. Peter, pray for us. In your mind, knowing what his life was like, what God did through the weakness of his flesh for his own salvation and for the salvation of many. Does that make sense? Okay. Knowing this St. Peter, let's take just a moment to introduce ourselves to the epistle 1 Peter. I want you to know that St. Peter wrote the epistle of 1 Peter when he was in Rome imprisoned. And he was on his way to what would be his martyrdom. 
Okay? Which means it would place it sometime between 50 and 64-ish. I'm sorry, he was martyred in 67. 50 and 67 when he was martyred. And if you remember, why was the book of Hebrews written to the Hebrew Christians? We just finished that. What was the purpose of that writing? What were they going through? Lack of faith. What was going on in their lives that was causing them to run away from Christ? Being persecuted. Persecuted. They're being persecuted already by the Jews. And they were beginning to see the very beginnings of the persecution of the Romans. They're getting it from both sides, as I mentioned, right? Well, we have another epistle, 1 Peter, that is not written to Jewish converts. Okay, this is, this is a different slant on this. And the people are not necessarily running away from their faith around Rome. But guess what? This was at the time of Nero, Caesar Nero. And if you remember, Caesar was being blamed for the burning of Rome. If you know your history. Okay? And there was good reason he was being blamed for the, for the burning of Rome. So what does he do? To offset all the accusations, who does he turn and blame the burning of Rome on? The Christians. Thus beginning the Roman persecution of the Christians, where Peter is currently serving, overseeing the body of Christ in Rome and that region. And so Rome begins persecuting these Christians. And so it is epistle strengthening them, encouraging them. It is an epistle showing them and reminding them the way of true faith, the way to endure such persecution. Unlike Hebrews, totally different writing. But good for us to see. Because the Gentiles are persecuting the Christians at this point. St. Peter writes it to the Christians in what they call the dispersion of the Christians in the northeast Mediterranean. So it's written, as we see in the beginning, it's written to the Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay? This is all in an area that he's writing to. Let me, let's start with just the first few verses. We'll do the introduction. We're going to stop there for today. But I do want to get through the introduction. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Now, St. Peter starts off as all of the apostles would start their writing by letting them know who's writing this. Peter, who? An apostle of Jesus Christ. One of the chosen. I didn't choose myself. One of the chosen. He says who it's written to. I love the words, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. But we have something to tackle real quick so that we can dismiss it. He writes and he says, lists all the the church areas that he's writing to, and he calls them the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. 
there are a lot of false teachings out there. And I came from this, okay, where this was fairly pre- prevalent. The doctrine of predestination. The elect before time. There is a doctrine that started, it was, it's very prevalent in Calvinism, but it's also spread many other places, that says that God pre-selected those who He was going to save. The rest are out of luck. Really is what it says. And this is one of the verses, this is one of the verses that the theology is built on. Because he says, These churches, you are among the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So they'll use this and some others in Scripture. By the way, let's always remember something. Every false teaching that's ever come the way of the church, all the way back to all the major heresies that the seven ecumenical councils dealt with, do you know what every heresy was founded on? Scripture. Every argument of the heresies began by using Holy Scripture, but not with the appropriate truth. And so the church would defend the truth, expressing what the, what the Scripture really says and what it really means. Okay, Why? Because again, God at Pentecost did not inhabit the pages of literature. He inhabited a people that would then, led by the Holy Spirit, write us literature to know how to live a holy life. To experience Christ in Holy Scripture and to be led in the truth by it, never denying the importance of Holy Scripture. But as you can see, and we know this, right now, there are, they call it close to 30,000 different Christian denominations today. That includes all the non-denominationals and so on. And when you look at all, many of the divisions, not all, many of the divisions are, in different, are because we interpret Scripture differently, we're going our own way. And we're going to forge ahead with what we believe is the truth about this idea of Scripture. Okay? And you find this a lot. So let me tell you what the church teaches us very simply about the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. First of all, it's this. And the fathers of the church unanimously speak very differently than a few are chosen. Because if you, believe, if you try to go with a few are elect, that God had in His mind to, to come and save, you really work against one of the most simple scriptures that everybody knows, John 3.16. Because John 3.16 does not say, that for God so loved a few in the world, or a certain portion of the world throughout history, that He gave His only begotten Son, but that He gave, the, he gave Himself for the life of the what? The world. Our own St. Peter in his second epistle says something about this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. What's God's position? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, will all come to repentance? Maybe not. But it's never by the will of God who wills that all He has knit together in their mother's wombs, created, (laughs) 
be brought to himself <coughs> eternally. Now what the fathers do teach us is that when we look at a statement, elect in the foreknowledge of God, what are they saying? What are we being taught? We're being taught that God is indeed the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He exists in all time, all at once. There's nothing He hasn't seen, won't seen, doesn't see, hasn't seen in the past. He's in it all. You know, I try to wrap my mind around this, but this is, you know, remember, this is timeless people, time, people in a time constraint trying to grasp timelessness. So it's really hard. But I'll offer you one thought that might be helpful. I used to teach history. And in the history classes, in a lot of the history books, you have a timeline. When I unfold that timeline in history, I'm standing right here. I can see the whole thing. Right? Now let me tell you where that analogy falls short. It is true. But where does it fall short? God's actually in all of it. That's the amazing thing. And so when he talks about the elect in the foreknowledge, do not think that God, who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, doesn't know who will accept his grand offer. And so all of these churches, all of these churches that are being mentioned, right? that's how he's expressing it. You have come to the offer of God You are the elect of God because He would, if it was His will, who would He elect? All. All in Christ. Absolutely. Then St. Peter tells us something additional about those who are in Christ. He says, Elect in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The church fathers will teach us that the sanctification of the Spirit, he's talking about baptism. That's how they were sanctified. That's how they were brought into the covenant. No need for circumcision. Baptism is the new circumcision, is the fulfillment of what circumcision was. You have come, you have been cleansed by Christ. You have been brought in, filled with the Holy Spirit. You are now part of the body of Christ by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And to what end? For obedience. What's he talking about? The fathers refer to the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel in chapter 36, where we're told that I will put, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. That word cause is a poor English translation. It's be, it would be better written enable. I will fill you with my Holy Spirit, I will grace you. I will give you everything that you need to walk in my ways. To be made whole where you're broken. And finally, baptized for the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, he says. Two things. First, we know the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, when he's using that terminology, is for the covering of our sins. Just like in the Old Covenant, by the blood of the sacrifice, the sins of the people were covered. And secondly, the sprinkling of the blood of the Lamb by the hyssop on the post and lintel doors. The angel of death did what? passed over (coughs) by the sprinkling of blood. You, church, have been covered. All of your sins have been covered and can continually be covered. And also, 
you have the mark of the Lamb of God upon you. Death has no place as we remain in Christ. And so my prayer that you take with you today, just a little introduction to 1 Peter, but even more than that, I pray that it will stick in your minds the blessedness of our St. Peter, who he is to us, who he is for us, and that we look to him as an example, that witness, that cloud of witness that cheers us on. Let us be like him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand.